Fear the Walking Dead, the podcast, an unofficial discussion of the news and events surrounding Fear the Walking Dead with Quinn Warner, Stephen Payne, and Bruce McGee. Hi, I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. And this is Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast. In the last episode of the season, we've got a two-episode special this week. Um, and um, now we just have to wait until the next season, right? <laughs> yes, we wait it with fetid breath. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I couldn't miss that. The ones of us who are still breathing. Yes, um, exactly. So uh, what did you think of these episodes? I thought it was a good kind of a wrap up. You know, that's that's one of the things that these season finales always have to do, for at least for right. ongoing series. They've got to wrap up everything from the previous season, but then they've got to provide really a launching pad, launching pad for the next season. Right, right, right. And you know, I kind of thought that by the end of this season, they would bring our group back together. Mm-hmm. They're more atom, atomized than they've been. Off season, like you know, what we're seeing now is kind of individuals wander off and make new connections, mm-hmm. um, rather than bonding together as its own groups. I wonder how they'll deal with that next season. Well, it, it didn't work out for some of them this past season <laughs> when they get separated from the group. I mean, it's an understatement, but it. Well, Chris is supposedly dead at this point, and uh, yeah. that was kind of the main turning point of the first episode mm-hmm. the death of Chris and it's um because you know technically when he left with those guys and we talked about this last time that you don't know for sure if it's the right decision or the wrong decision for Chris mm-hmm. because his take on the way the world is um it seems to be more in tune with the reality of the era than right. that. But um, it it is. It's it's sort of the old way of looking at the world versus the new way. You know. Yeah. And and that's a, that's like that's the classic sort of oil and water clash. You know, oil and water don't mix. But then you, know, you remember that speech he gave to his dad where he betrayed his dad. Those words immediately came back to haunt him because mm-hmm. he was driving. And then um, they put him down like a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had a badly broken leg. And, and, you know, your choices are we're going to spend months with this guy waiting for him to get better or we can just shoot him. And, you know, that's what you get told his dad. I realize this guy will just shoot me if anything happens. In the mind of a 15-year-old, nothing's going to happen. Right. Uh, it's that feeling of invulnerability and invincibility. Yes. Right. So, so yeah, I liked. I mean, I liked that that angle. It was kind of um, for this series to be postmodern in its way. It it was a rather traditional sort of treatment in some ways. I don't know how how I feel about it, frankly, emotionally, in the sense that he goes off with the the virtually amoral or or, or new morality, whatever characters, and he gets his, so to speak, and you can read it as poetic justice, and yet, I don't know, I just, I've got some real, I'm very ambivalent about the way I feel about the way they've offed him, you know, it's, um... Well, and 
I mean, on the after show, they were talking like he really was dead. Don't know for sure. We didn't see him die. We saw the account of the bros. That he right, the Amerobros. But you got to assume if there was any chance that he would be alive, they would have said it rather than allow themselves to be beaten to death. Well, and in fact, if you do bring him back now, I mean, it's going to look like a cheat unless if they come up with a really good explanation about. Well, we were well, and of course they can't come up with anything since we'll get to it. But I mean, Travis offs them in retaliation, right? Right. Uh, so it winds up being an, uh, almost an Old Testament-like sort of a you know enactment of vengeance against those those fellows, don't you think? I mean, that's what I was well, thinking the whole time. Almost Old Testament. Did you pick up on? Um the subtext, or really the text of the episode. Like, um, did you notice the the name of the episode? Let me see if I got it written down. If I've even got it written down in my notes here. I don't know. I don't think I wrote this down. Uh, I had gone looking for it because about halfway through the beatdown, which seemed to be the most interminable one ever on this show, it just went on and on I got thinking, well, here's Travis, who has spent the last two seasons refusing to fight. You know, and uh, he was the man who wasn't going to fight, and he would fight zombies if necessary, but he didn't even like to do that. Um, But he didn't want to be violent against people, and now it's unleashed, and this, you know, other side of him comes out, and I started thinking, ah, that sounds a little familiar. So I went back and looked at the title of the episode, and it was Wrath. Oh, wow. <laughs> Achillean sort of wrath. Too. Yes, totally, totally. He's Achilles. And I didn't know if it was just me with that reaction, because I teach the Iliad every quarter. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I wanted to find out your opinion about it. But that is Achilles they're ripping off, right? Uh, yeah, I mean that seems pretty pretty clear. And again, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, you and I've talked about this before. That ancient Mediterranean, ancient Mediterranean, rather, an ancient Near East, both there's some similar cultural ideas that come up, don't you think? I mean, maybe, maybe because of geography. From each other, yeah, it's, it's geography maybe driving that. Geography and and <laughs> you know, Lord knows what else. But I mean, I think that's a a big driver of that. Um, so he's he just loses it, you know. Travis absolutely loses it, and so that, that's why if if they did bring him back, to me it would be a cheat again, unless if it's now another way you could bring him back would be in flashback sequences, and that would be doable, right? And even new sequences of memories that have never been explored before, and then they suddenly come cropping up with Travis. We'll say he could remember, you know, taking the kid someplace when he was really little, or or when he was in high school, or whatever. I mean, I could see that coming up too. But to, right. to, so I mean, in that regard, I mean, I'm all for the killing of the character because it really makes you care about the the father son you know relationship and what the father's lost and you know what the community's lost too. With, with well, and uh, did we get any other major characters dying this time? I think he's it. Um, so Salazar is still out there. Ophelia's been captured. Well, I mean, you got you got later on. You got Alejandro, of course, bites the dust. He's more of a secondary, you know, kind of a second tier character, I suppose. Which one is he? He is the pharmacist, you know, the oh, slash right. cult, slash cult leader. <laughs> yeah, and um, um, 
Oh, the guy who's from the hotel who tries to step in and stop Travis from um stop Travis from attacking the two boys. Um, Travis just kind of. Oh, yes. Well, okay, so I haven't figured that out yet. Okay, so now the one guy, and he gets killed because he's he's essentially like collateral damage, I I suppose. Right, right, yeah. And, you know, Travis is now a murderer. Um, But the other guy now that did the autopsy on that body, uh, one of them, is his name Hector? Yes. Hector is your brother. Is he going to die? Uh, well, yeah, I, th- I think he was. Let me look in my notes here because that's this is what I've been trying to piece out, and I should go back and look at like a cast listing. So, is he related in well, the one that does the autopsy? He's a, I'm assuming, is a young medical student or or a newly minted doctor. Is that right? Yeah. And, and is he re- is he related to the people in the hotel, like the the lady that's been sort of running the hotel when they show up? Um. I don't know. I didn't. I couldn't figure it out. That was a little unclear to me. Hector Reyes. Now is he the the one that was killed by that Travis? Killed? I don't know. I was trying to uh, figure it out. No, Hector is the one who's calling for justice. And you know okay. how. Last week we were trying to figure out is this a new law being formed or is it just a reversion to tribalism and it becomes clear in this episode that it's a reversion to tribalism, at least for um Madison. It probably bears out that old proverb, everything old is new again. Well in, in, in an apocalypse, I mean I would imagine that would be the case. And the other proverb, blood is thicker than water. Um mm-hmm. Because when it's Travis, who's killed three people with his bare hands, oh, well, you got to be a little more understanding, you know, peace <laughs> understanding. Uh, where's the forgive? Where's the love? Um, and this tribal mentality, of course, is the one we're kind of born with. You know, mm-hmm. we, we're born with this predilection toward tribalism. If you notice... Um, um, a lot. We're, we're in the middle, recording this middle of the meltdown of the Trump campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one thing I keep hearing from his followers is, well, he asked for forgiveness, so we should forgive him. Hmm. That's the quality we have. It's really a tribal quality. Right, right. We forgive our own, but we remember what the other person did forever. Um it's and a I, very visceral and very, in a way, a very primitive way to act, don't you think? Yeah, think? I mean, in these smaller societies, the loss of a critical person um, can be devastating. And, you know, probably your biggest, most aggressive man is going to be your best hunter in the tribe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't forgive a lot if this person's bringing home a steak every night, right? Right. Um, Right, it's the 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 tribe is going to revolve around the hunting and and gathering, and also and, and probably around some religious rites or rituals of some sort, you know, appeasing the gods or whatever, you know. Right. Um. So it's and, and this this again this series is so unique because we're seeing a, instead of seeing the 
many years out, you know, playing out of what what actually happened, say, 50 or 100 years before. We're watching it unfold as it, essentially as it happens. Right. So we've got sort of a ringside seat for the destruction of civilization. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that's the difference. Um, that critical first three months of the apocalypse, um, the walking dead chose to skip that and just go straight to he's woken up in a post-apocalyptic world. Because every other zombie movie starts with the trickle, you know, the first few going about our normal lives, and then you see somebody looking weird in a park, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, it starts to snowball and escalate. But they wanted to skip forward through all that in Walking Dead, but then they went back and did it for us this time, so we could watch this world unwind. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll be at just a certain part of the world, too. I mean, you're seeing it right. just on the West Coast, and... And in Mexico, too. Part of the problem, and we've talked about this before in the episode, is the loss of contact with the broader world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't they get on the ham radios? Um, You know, you could could generate enough power to man a ham radio and then... Right. But nobody does it anywhere. (laughs) It's just... um, they may not know how to operate the the instruments themselves or the radios themselves. I mean, that's a... Well, some of the old farts have this uh, memory, you know. They've, they may, but I'm, I'm just thinking know. like the people, the people, at least on this current series, the only one that might know how to do it maybe might be Strand. I don't know. That's based on the fact that he had a radio aboard right. the boat. Well, I was Abigail. thinking the family that immediately killed themselves after our heroes arrived. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're preppers. And they live on an island, so they should have had a ham radio all along. Mm-hmm. You know? In fact, I think he's the one that told us, didn't he? Uh, he yeah, that sounds right. Uh, that sounds right. Tell us what it all fallen. That's kind of the last word we have. Is that everything west of the Rockies has been destroyed? And, you know, there's everything and there's everything. Um, but, they tried to destroy Atlanta, but we've got these groups of people in the Atlanta vicinity who are certainly surviving. Mm-hmm. And even yeah, this in is, Atlanta. This brings up something interesting here because here we've been on the West Coast, the original series, you know, you're back in Atlanta, so you're seeing two urban environments, how they've, you know, been destroyed and yet how these survivors have, you know, tried to subsist, you know, after a period of time. So I'd be interested to know what it's like in the rural areas or the smaller towns because this seems to be more of an urban-type series, at least from what I've seen. One of my favorite ideas from the first series is uh, they've only been to this place a couple of times, our group, but there's a group, yeah, you know, they're kind of dicks, but they aren't horrible. And um, they're basically living at Williamsburg. Like, they've got an old plantation house or colonial house that had been restored as a um, as a place to bring school kids to see how we lived back in the 17 and 1800s. Yeah. So um, this community is formed around that because they had all the tools already. They had the blacksmith shop. They had the old-timey doctor shop. You know, they were already mm-hmm. pre-electricity. I imagine, you know, the Amish will become really popular. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this world, you know, uh, 
I will wear black and grow a beard if you'll just take me in. <laughs> I'll even learn. What does it say? Speak German? What's that, the Amish? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some dialect of German and, you know, the the so-called plain, the plain people, you know. Well, those, these are ones that were sitting pretty because, you know, they uh, make their own clothes and um, they, uh, you know, they still do things the old-fashioned way. There, you, we're seeing this um, this mix of technologies. It's not just a mix of ideas of people trying to form a new ethic in the midst of the apocalypse, but you've got this mix of technologies where you have some. Well, like I mean, they're driving around in vehicles for goodness' right. sake, you know, in, in, with internal combustion engines, but yet they're having to rig, you know, jury rig certain things in order to, you know. I guess put civilization back on its feet, or try to put civilization back on its feet, like in the Colonia, you know, where they've they've rigged up their own electrical grid and that kind of thing. Because there, there's some images where you see them, you know, various things. I don't know if it's like windmills operating, and it's you know they're trying to generate electricity by a windmill or what. But right. they seem to, they hate, they seem to have some power other than just you know their vehicles you know, with their again with their you know. Gasoline, gasoline and diesel engines and so forth. Right. Well, what else happened in the first episode that we hadn't done over? Yeah, I like that opener. I want to go into that when this thing comes back up on my phone here. Um, Ophelia is driving around the desert, and the car runs hot, or the, the truck runs hot. <laughs> and that's always a bad sign, you know. It's just right. it's almost it's almost getting to be kind of a visual cliche that when somebody is stranded someplace, you know, they're going to be these heavy breathing zombies and snarling zombies out shambling around. The worst people. Um, yeah. <laughs> who is that guy? He was a familiar actor, but I couldn't recollect who he was. You know, capture Ophelia, and that's the last we saw of her. I don't know. He, I'm not saying that he looked familiar to me. I mean, I don't. I'm not watching a lot of network TV these days, and so I'm not sure. Um, it's not like a super major actor, but I've seen him on stuff before. Maybe he's some character actor, you think? Or right, right. That was pretty pretty interesting, though. She goes across the border, and then you see these people that are, you know, he has captured her. And I'm trying to think, is this where we also see some of those guys with guns and they're lurking around the border with this fellow, you know, that's captured her? Maybe. Maybe she's, um, I can't remember if she was trying to avoid them and that's how she got. Because that's bookended later on when when you have uh, Nick and uh, Luciana go across the border. Right. You know, and then you have the... I don't, you know, we don't know if it's U.S. border, the former border patrol. I guess they call them ICE, you know, agents nowadays. But I don't know if it's those guys or if it's, you know, a bunch of preppers, you know, survivalist, survivalist, and whatever. But uh, you could see how every one of the old animosities and race hatreds and so so forth and so on, like not just general racism, but xenophobia and Islamophobia, et cetera, how an apocalypse would magnify and multiply the effects of those those sort of Right. Issues. The people that are left are the ones with the guns who are raising idiots and so they naturally they're manning the border and shooting anybody that comes across. Right. They they think they're preserving America or whatever and it's it's right. a pretty un, it's a pretty unsettling image. I mean I I was really kind of creeped out when I saw this guy you know, standing over her, and he has a gun in hand, and that's that was just a really creepy image to me. Right. I mean, I don't know. Did that did that 
sequence work for you as an opener, as far as a way to kind of kick off this, you know, season finale? Yeah, it did. So we move from her truck that's run hot in the desert, you know, whatever it's, it's she's stranded out there, to Travis blaming himself for not protecting Chris and going through all the soul searching. Oh, and, my God, you know. You know um, oh, and that's the other thing is he's trying to, that's what Achilles did with it. He felt all this guilt for failing Patroclus. That's kind of uncomfortable to feel, so instead he turns it outward um, and um, attacks the boys that were immediately responsible for his death. But he feels responsible, too, because he let him go. And he didn't adequately teach him. You know, he, somewhere along the way, he failed to impart his value. See, that that setup like that makes me wonder, then, if he's going to have to pay a price himself down the road. In other words, if poetic well, justice will be an act. You know, well, but I mean, like, the ultimate price is in losing his life or, or the lives of more members of their family. You know, their little makeshift family they've kind of put together. I mean, that would be the ultimate price to play or to pay. In rather. this world, you are generally rewarded um, for that kind of violence. You know, you kill the other side and you have peace for a while, and you know these are bad people who deserve to die, which you could argue in this case, but that's not why he was killing them. He was killing them out of vengeance. Uh, but we've seen Rick do similar stuff. And just go bonkers on people. You know, it's all good. <laughs> now he is a is he a former? What is he in the other series? Is he a, law? a deputy sheriff? Okay, so he's uh, law enforcement. Right. And you know, his role is that kind of morphed into his role as the chief of the the tribe. Um, you know, wanting all at once. Yeah, essentially, he's gone from being a guardian or sentinel to being a warrior. Yeah, basically right. He's using the skills he got as a deputy to uh, to fight the other groups. Um, um, you know, so it's not just. Whoop. It kind of. Um... I'm wondering if these are if Travis, even in a way, is a is sort of an archetypical character of this father, and yet father, but also teacher, and the teacher is related to the priest. Right. In terms of their, does that make sense? In terms of their function, and particularly in a in a tribal society. Well, generally there will be the warrior, and then somebody else will fill the wise old man role. Um, I think it's always been a man. Mm-hmm. Um, the conscience of the group, and they always get killed. <laughs> right. Oh, you mean in the in the, uh, walking, in the dead? walking Dead yeah. series? You know, uh, I mean the old person who still reads the Bible and believes that there's a larger destiny, and they have to buy the farm or whatever. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's to to make the others think about what what they're doing to themselves and to this larger culture, I suppose. Right. Um, well, we move from that to when this thing flips around here. 
So Nick, we then cut away to Nick. He's left the colonia on this on this weird mission. It's a very mysterious mission. You know, he goes into the zombie. He goes through the bus into the zombie pen. And has anything about that bus struck you as being kind of symbolic? I mean, you think about that. They're going through the remnants of something, which is a bus, which is again a a symbol of the old world in the sense that it is. Not it's not just a means of conveying people, lots of people from one place to another, but it's a, the bus is a symbol of what that, that old school, right? And the old system. And he goes out of that into this new world. It's all, it's like a tunnel of a sort. He goes out of that into the back. Yeah, it is like a tunnel, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I've been thinking about that from episode to episode because they keep lingering on the thing. It's really it's, right. it's got some symbolic value to it. And then he well, goes and into, uh, the uh, pharmacist loses it at some point to let the, uh, the walkers out to attack the invaders. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our, our monsters versus your monsters. <laughs> yeah, and I think our monsters won. It looked like all the um, narcos were either run off or killed. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the, the lead narcos were kind of in the lead of that group. Yeah, they were zombies now, which was pretty I mean, that was poetic justice. Enjoy the other uh, people in the ring around us. I thought it was weird that those guys would want this place. It seems to me that they had a perfectly good spot in um, in that... Um, Narcos are us. <laughs> the narcs are us. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, it seemed pretty defensible, and people were trading with them, so. I didn't really get why they wanted this other place except this is the new world. You know, right. something you take it. Right. Other people don't like it. They've got to be strong enough or smart enough to uh, keep you from taking it. It's kind of like, like you know, we talk about the... Well, yeah, well, we're talking about the tribe mentalities like gangs, too, which are probably... Again, sort of variations or mutations of tribes. In a sense. They generally have a tribal structure, you know, the familia. Mm-hmm. Even to the point of many of them, the people are blood relatives. So, right. You know, those are the people you can trust, the people you grew up with. Now, here's where we get after Nick leaves his mission, uh, on his mission. And he takes the. We find out he takes the oxycontin to the, you know, narc narc mart or whatever you want right. to call the thing, or narcs or us. We cut away to, to it. preserve their relationship mm-hmm. that they've been having, but it's too late. Well, we cut away to Alicia who tries to comfort Travis after Chris's what we think is a disappearance. We don't know yet that he's dead. Right. And she's trying to make amends. Uh, and she is his what amounts to his stepdaughter. Right. I feel yeah, poor Alicia. She just uh, <laughs> she never gets a break with it. You know, they always like Travis more or less. Uh, the only thing that matters is my blood son. You know, screw Alicia, screw you, um, Madison. And um, you know, it, it's like Alicia can't catch a break. Um, although I don't think it hurts her as much as the fact that her mother ignores her. This is just a stepdad who hadn't been there that long, probably. Right, right, and it's and the family is already fragile to begin with, and here we've got just one more thread that's been broken off or frayed or whatever. You know, the family's really struggling here. Um, 
Let's but see. Yeah, uh, Chris, I mean, we talked about this last time, I think, that uh, uh, Madison and Daniel both have the same issue, which is they can't let go of the child that has run away, you know. Um, and that's a real thing in any culture. If there's the kid that's going to... Um, the kid that's going to cause all the drama and be the bad kid, quote-unquote. Um, oftentimes they wind up going, but then they're still the center of gravity, even though they're far away. People, mm-hmm. that's all they worry about. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, the father sees him coming from afar and runs to meet him. It's like mm-hmm. he's sitting there every day watching for him to come back. Mm-hmm. I'm struck too with the the old I mean the echoes of the open boat again. You know, it's if you look at the the old uh, Stephen Crane uh, novella for the listeners, if they have or have not read the thing, may have read it maybe in high school or college. But you know, being strong in the in the post-apocalyptic world is no sure bet that you're going to survive, just as it was in the open boat. Well, and it's one of those conundrums with this type of story. You're trying to put the randomness of life into a story that where you in theory control everything. I wonder if there are authors out there that flip a coin to decide who dies and lives, like to add some truly random into it. It's a good question. I mean, he was, when they went to the, and this brings up a good point about Chris, when, when they went away to the after show, you remember he has a contract to work on another series. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think so. So he and that, that's a tip. This is a typical thing. A lot of times they will kill a character off, or they'll, you know, this is the most most drastic example of. It. A lot of times they just have to move away, or something happens. But I mean, yeah, he's supposedly moving on to well, another series. Well, especially in this, this could have gone somewhere for a couple of years, and then I brought him back in seamlessly, um, doing full curts or something. They could again if they if they bring him back as a flashback, or if they say something like, "Well, he was he really wasn't dead." But then if if they if they do that kind of number, it's it's very much like the old, you know, Bobby Ewing thing, Bobby dying, and then they right. his wife's name Pam, and she goes in. It was know, all a dream. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> goes in there and finds him showering in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was ludicrous, and it was and it was insulting to the viewers who'd invested a lot of time. Oh yeah, it very much was. Yeah, you wake up and it, well, it was all a dream sequence, and it just totally destroyed the series. Any credibility that it had just went right out the the bathroom window, or right down the drain in the shower. Right, you want to kill them in a way that you could bring them back without too much. They were lost at sea. Oh well, here's the sequence where they you know, found the yeah. lifeboat. Well, like well, the classic case of that is Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Moriarty right. going over the Reichenbach Falls, you know, in the in the story, and then it was Adventure of the Empty House. But anyhow, that's the one I think where he brings him back, and he explained that Moriarty was indeed the one thrown over the. Uh, I climbed up the, the cliff the other way. Exactly, I held on to some tree branches or whatever. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A from a what is that one? Beetle Bailey. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He's always yeah. hanging by a tree branch. Yeah, yeah. Um, something like that. Um, so it's a, that's a really dicey move to, to kill off a character and then bring them back. I mean, that that creates a real sea change in the series. Again, if you want to keep credibility in the thing, 
and, and this this kind of thing happens in the comics an awful lot, and it's they become notorious for it, killing off a character. Well, like that whole death of Superman sequence back in the nineties. I mean, right. everybody knew that the Man of Steel was going to come back, and then you had images of essentially a resurrection. Right. Uh, when he's brought back, but I mean, it's again they'll, they'll kill off some character and they bring him back and they say it was a dream or they say that some supernatural force raised the person from the dead or whatever. And you know, this is it's a, it's a common kind of a device in fi- you know, particularly in popular fiction. Well, it's a way of killing people off and getting the emotional payoff of you know the the pathos of watching somebody that come to love die, but then you get to have the character back. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffy was infamous for it. You know, you, you weren't really dead, and if you were Buffy dead, you could be yanked into a hell dimension or be dead for six months. But you still find a way to bring you back if they chose to. <laughs> was she was she killed off in lots of oh, episodes? Oh, just about every season. Yeah, that became like a cliche. You know, <laughs> so uh, they had to find new ways to kill her. I guess every time. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, one time she just you know got water in her lungs. And they gave her. They resuscitated her, so that was normal enough. But in other times, they would have to work a spell or something. And bring her back somehow. Or she would have to fight her way out of a hell dimension, and she'd be back. So, um, you know, there you just was, can't keep well, a good vampire slayer down, I guess. Well, right. Every year you had this arc where they would tend towards some apocalypse. And there was this one episode where Giles says, Oh, dear Lord. And everybody says, What? He says, the world is going to end, and they all say, again? You know, they played it for laughs. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Familiarity breeds contempt, you know. <laughs> right. But it becomes farce, you know, the first time it's tragedy. <laughs> the apocalypse of the week. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. It's pretty funny. Well, we we mentioned this business then about Alicia trying to comfort Travis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know, I'm like you. Her character, she's a. I'm, I've never seen her before the series, so I'm really kind of a fan of hers. I mean, she's a pretty good actor. She was the queen of the tree crew on uh, the 100, and really awesome in that. She was Which is another warrior. post-apocalyptic drama. Right. Yes, another post-apocalypse. I hadn't thought of that. Is that one running still, too, or no? I think it may have run its course, but I don't know for sure. Um, they beat the artificial intelligence. You know, that's like the big boss at the top uh, last uh, last season. So I don't know what they'd be doing this season if they brought it back. Well, Every season they have a worse and worse opponent to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we mentioned that, and there's something else. I like the sequence. This could be a setup, and in fact, probably is a setup later on. Nick tries to deal with with the narcos. Right, right. He goes with the uh, oxy to make a deal, and then they have to come up with the plan to beat them. Um, and they don't have a lot of weapons, so they have to use their wits. I wonder when they're going to get smart enough to go back and get the weapons out of the guys that have become zombies from the other side, you know. No, and go uh, and commandeer their firearms or whatever. Right, get their yeah. weapons. Yeah. Well, I guess you know, they've got weaponry, I suppose, in the the parent series, right? Um, 
Oh, yeah, uh, that was kind of the first thing he did was make a run to get guns. And they had a couple of other gun runs along the way to refurbish their supplies. And the last thing that happened before the new Alexandria broke down last season was um, the guy that had kind of a science background found a shop, a metallurgy shop, and was going to start making weaponry, and especially ammo. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we can re- restock our ammo here. Um, and um, that was going to be his contribution. But oh, I was talking about this with a class of mine yesterday, that the thing that keeps knocking them back in the zombies is confused with other groups. Like, there's nothing to make them get along. Um, in the old days, the U.S., you know, local constabulary or, um, it would have been Rick, you know, he would have come mm. and said, if y'all keep doing this. The local dogberry. <laughs> the local dogberry, to use a Shakespearean term. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that a police? Yeah, exactly. He was a constable yeah, or the, something in one of the they, old, you know. Elizabethan cities or whatever, but he's you know the he's the law exactly. He's John. Right, he's John Law, as they're also called. But yeah, they would have stopped the fighting, um, but there's no force to do that. So they wind up basically devastating each other, you know. And uh, these fragile groups really can't handle much of that. Um, this group, how how would you distinguish? Or is there a way to distinguish this group of survivors from the group, say, in Walking Dead? If you look at the core, the core group, you know, of uh, Madison and Strand and Travis and and uh, Nick and Alicia and so forth, and maybe Ophelia. I mean, how are how do they differ from this core group? Is smaller and younger. I would say those are the two main differences. And, uh, how about how about in terms of their personalities? So, that, in other words, or is there is there a lot of variation in the personalities, or is it sort well, of a, you know just a basic range of how humans are? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are always the people that uh, advise for peace and the ones that want to go to war, and you know, um, um, we haven't found a good like spiritual leader for. Like, on the real, like somebody like Herschel, we haven't had that in this series. Because anybody that has some kind of group they're leading, it turns out to be a horrible cult. Like, you know, it turned out that um, the pharmacist really did not get bitten by a walker. Right. Bitten by a drug addict. That was a really interesting sequence. We ought to talk about that. I don't know how deep yeah, that is into the episode. Bad. I thought it would have been interesting. Um, if they had yeah. Somebody be immune, because then there's hope that you can. Um, there's hope. Or do you, you want to talk about that, or talk about the the death of of uh, Chris in the truck crash? Well, we're already on the other guy, so we'll get back to Chris. We kind of talked about him. Um, but the pharmacist, yeah. Yeah, so Nick and Luciana consult with Alejandro. If he had been immune, that would open up a whole new area for the subplot. There's no reason that there shouldn't be somebody immune. Almost mm-hmm. everything out there, there's somebody whose immune system has figured out a way to fight it. Right. I mean, you hear about oh. old... Uh, 
people that had been to Hiroshima dying finally. They were irradiated in 1945. Right. Their immune system was able to keep going for another 70, 80 years. Well, you know. It was, but yet you had some of them, you know, they wind up having children. It damages their DNA. And so then you have more problems, you know, with that irradiated DNA that go, right. you know, jumps from one generation to the next. And it probably all depends, too, on how the proximity to the to the bomb, on the first That's A-bomb. That's I'm off. sure the people closest. To, the yeah, the ones, that, the ones at ground zero, I, I imagine, were mostly vaporized. I mean, I mean right. there were some survivors, but still, I mean, a lot of them were, you know, they're, they start streaming into, I don't know if you'd say hospitals or what, but anyhow, they start streaming in, and you start seeing people with these terrible radiation burns. And But the point you know, is that... Um, Almost everything that we've faced as a species, somebody in the species has had the right. key to surviving it. Um, even possibly people who are immune to AIDS, um, you know, like HIV. Right. Are they really, or were they just lucky, you know, and uh, how do you figure that out? Because, well, what brought this home, you look in the sequence here, this is what we're talking about. Alejandro, Nick and Luciana have gone in to consult with him about their next course of action. And while this is going on, a zombie revives on the table and attacks them. Right. And he bites right. Alejandro and a woman. And I guess, and is this the the sequence then that reveals that Alejandro is not immune? Right, because he quickly starts to show symptoms. That was and I was real... waiting for it. I was saying, okay, is he going to get sick now or not? That um, was a really... To me, a really interesting take on the on the cult type idea too, because I don't know of many cult leaders when they go, when they go down, they go down fight, fighting, they go down defiantly. In other words, like Jim Jones or David Koresh or any of those people, Heaven's Gate. I mean, they. Well, and they, it turned out he wasn't really trying to be a cult leader. He had just kind of gotten, you know, that status. Right. Everybody thought he had survived this fight. They've been using it to try to keep the group together, and so she appeals to his better nature to do that one more time and to get them to safety and help help defend the colonia, which he does. Right, but it's it's a, it's an interesting take on the, the fact that I don't know, maybe not, not all cults are alike. I don't know. It's just it's it's not the standard. Like I said, it's not at all like Jim Jones or David Koresh. Um, it's it's and, very different because they never did admit that they were. You know, misleading people. In fact, again, to the bitter end, he was always a narcissist or a yeah, psychopath or whatever mm-hmm. it was he was. Yeah, or sociopath um, or something. But yeah, he's just really. Although, you know, if you go back and look at the Jim Jones biography, when he was younger, they did a lot of social good at that church. But, mm-hmm. You know, when they were in the country, so right. Kind of wonder if there had been at some point a decent guy in there somewhere. Um, you know, like there are people that are always horrible, and then there's people that are get worse, and even people that get better. Um, well, yeah, that's the that's the. Choice. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's the nature of the apocalypse, I guess, that it does magnify our best and our worst <laughs> traits, I suppose. It reveals. What we're really made of, don't you right? Think? What I mean, what you were inside, or what you could be. You know, some people come out. Like, it's sort them. of a. You could make the case that the apocalypse itself is kind of a catalyst, you know, where they, yeah, uh, just a like crucible. a catalyst. 
Yeah, or it, I mean, it doesn't. It, it it itself is not effective, but it does affect other things. It's you know, they, they catalysts either slow down or speed up chemical reactions. So these speed up human reactions in a sense, or human nature. Well, and um, you know, um, like Carol in the other series, with this battered housewife who becomes super badass um, in um, in the apocalypse. So it wasn't probably just her husband holding her in that spot as a victim, but also society in a way. You know, uh, we, you know, there's a lot of things that encourage people to stay, stay in whatever it was they were, uh, their situation was. I guess we should go back down to the, the business about the Brandon and Derek who have survived the truck crash. Right. Well, it was one, um, one before we leave the pharmacist. I thought it was interesting that they chose hmm. to have Madison find him as he was dying, but not learn that Nick had been there. Mm-hmm. He kind of fixes it, but he's not able to talk to her, and they don't talk about Nick. And I, you know, it would have been another choice entirely. It's, oh, Nick, yes. Uh, you know, uh, he was there, but. I guess they figured it wouldn't serve much point and be kind of artificial. Yeah. Well, there. Let's see. Um, something else. I think there was really interesting exchange between. You know, we're seeing this really complicated and interesting. I think relationship between Madison and Strand. Right. And she goes and consults with him about. Chris's disappearance, and she's convinced. You remember that he was traveling with this, you know, the Amara Bros, as I'm calling. Oh them. right, the, the Bros show up, and they're being douchey. Come serve us, you Mexican Jew. You know, uh, we're Americans. Come fix my arm. It's, uh, it's it's like that old book that came out years ago, The Ugly American. I mean, it's that. Yeah, kind of, they really were everything worse about that kind of American. Yeah, it's just the that other really, ugly American, the uh, guys in camo at the border. Yeah, it's, it's um, the feelings of entitlement and the egotism, and you know, uh, it's like a bunch of Trump supporters, basically, well, or, may, or maybe more like Trump himself. Yeah, entitlement is a real critical factor in American culture, especially for people like me, middle-aged white men from the South. Um, you know, we grew up understanding that our role was to be the masters of the universe, and and every time women got the right to, to work, and all of a sudden women can be doctors, and um, African Americans are going to school with white Americans, and we are all sharing a water fountain now, and every one of those is a blow to that entitlement, and that's why you see the rage on the right um, at this point in our history. Their world, their world is cr- is crumbling around them. I mean, this is yeah, what they what their they world see is going. Their world is dying. The way this world was arranged for their benefit. And if, you, if you've ever seen um, Mad Men, I, I've heard. I mean, I've never watched the series. I know it's about those advertising execs, you know, in the, what is it, right. the fifties and sixties or whatever. But yeah, the executives are in their offices having sex with the secretary and getting drunk and passing out all afternoon, while these really top-flight women sit in this vast warren of uh, death in the middle. You know the the nice offices around the edge with their mm-hmm. Manhattan and here are these women in this kind of war and where they're all, you know, 
they're typing all day. You know, they're actually making the world safe for the executives. You know, they're mm-hmm. the ones that make that world run, but they're almost invisible. The honey or, the, you know, darling, uh, you know, the only time they're noticed is when um, somebody's having trying to have sex with you, but otherwise it's just kind of part of the scenery, you know. It's a very privileged world, and I, I think yeah. I wonder. There, are, I'm sure, and I, it would be interesting in, in this case, and also in the case of this series, and really in the contemporary world, to talk with a sociologist about the different levels of white privilege. Right. Because a, a person like a Trump, for example, has lots, I mean, loads more privilege than somebody that's some poor white, you know, that's living here in North Louisiana or living in the Delta or someplace. Right. Obviously, he is, you know. Of the product of the Madman era. He came up at the end of that. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and also, they're Manhattan, he's Manhattan, right? Um, so, um, you know, that's I mean, a- I mean, as as I watch this right now, uh, another um, another woman has come forward talking about Trump accosting her during hey, a meeting about potential uh, jobs. Before we started recording, um, they actually cut away from a Trump speech to uh, to uh, go to a, a, a competing uh, news conference with the Trump accuser. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for the last year, every time Trump's been on TV, they've just pointed a camera at him and let him go. And this, now they're starting to cut away. So this is this is that world. Um, this this is what's good a, a strength from what what you say. And I don't know again anything about that original series of Walking Dead, but the, the new series using you know an African American, I would say a lead character, definitely in, in the core you know the core characters. But you know you have one African American character, you have a woman who's Anglo, but you do at least have a woman. You have a lot of Latinas. You know you have several Latinas in the cast too. Yeah, we've had some really strong, uh, and they said on the after show they want to keep the um, keep the um, keep the hotel as part of their set next year. You know, like, uh, one of the settings for one of the drinks. Not say they left the strand there. So that means, yeah, I was going to say, so that means that they're going to be staying some in Baja, I suppose, or around Tijuana and so forth, and not necessarily going back to the states. I guess. Yeah. Although, you know, maybe one of them will wind up back in the States. Things like Ophelia, she can escape whatever state has uh, done for her. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, this is this is really, really, you know, sort of, again, I think it's a, it's a really complex and interesting bunch of characters. Um, I like this, uh, you know, more of this living on the fly sort of approach where they they wind up uh setting up the former parking garage of the hotel, I guess is what it is, as a as a sort of a hospital or like a mass unit. Or triage, yeah. Yeah. For health but also for um you know screening people before they make them part of the hotel crew per se. Right. Um they probably want to find out what talents they have and uh, whether they can make a worthwhile risk. Um, yeah, because we've talked about this before, the, the tension between a bigger group 
mm-hmm. with its um, um, you know, larger skill set and ability to fight versus a smaller group with its ability to live um, off of fewer resources. Right. I think their main problem here in the Baja is the dwindling resources, especially food and water. Right. Especially water, you know, that's probably have more food than we will water in the long term. And, and, and maybe weapons too. I mean, I, 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 this may be a, the, the time for the trip back to the narcos, you know, nar- narcmar or whatever to get to get those guys, you know, weapons. If I don't know whether all of them left the, you know, left their protected, you know, facility or whether they, you know, left a skeleton well, crew like behind I to say, defend it or what. Well, like the weapons that have been left lying around by the right. narco zombies. Um, they don't have to invade this well-defended place. Do we know how far that is from that hotel? I mean, it must not be over. Not uh, terribly far. I'd say a few miles because uh, they can get there quickly. It's far enough they didn't know where they were. But so they could be a they quick could set up drive or even walk. Didn't Nick walk there? I think I so. I think yeah, so. And, and see, so I'm thinking. I mean, you could have a real walk every day. You could have a real little kind of a community of sorts set up, you know, with the with the two, you know, with the with the two axes of the community being the hotel and maybe the narc mart. Well, the three axes, if you had the colony, you could have them all yeah. doing their part and trading for what they couldn't do, you know, what the other group could do. If they but if again, they stick around the colony, I don't know if they're going to stick around or not. Well, again, the problem is um, that. You know, these groups need each other, but then they're in competition with each other, and it's tempting just to say, I'm going to kill you and take your stuff. Let's see. That's what keeps happening in The Walking Dead. So we mentioned this about the about the death of Chris. He is, you know, no longer with us now. Uh, Travis. But the bros show up. We got off of that. Um, yeah, the bros show up. And, and that's an intuit that... Based on uh, how, what's it? What's his name or her boyfriend? That was uh, Travis. Yeah. Based on Travis's description, these are the guys he's been talking about. They just have to be. What in the world are they doing here? Well, they're trying to get some medical attention. Uh, insulting everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, acting like the ugly American. And that was Madison, the first thing I thought when I saw those guys. <laughs> it was that book. Madison kind of knows, you know, okay, Chris is not here. And uh, they say he's dead. We, I better get him out of here before Travis sees him or he'll go nuts. Right. So um, it wasn't that this violence wasn't there before. It's always been there within him. I mean, it's kind of latent, so, you know, just waiting to bring out. It was there, right. Well, this brings up something else, too. When she tries to comfort him, is it here or was it a couple of weeks back? But anyhow, uh, Madison uh, essentially, you know, they revealed some of this in the after show. When she reveals a really dark side of herself, and it's almost yeah, a throwaway Yeah, I wonder line. what that is, because she didn't really say what it was. She like, may have. Something that happened before. Well, you know, the, her previous husband was. I wonder uh, if she killed her husband. Well, yeah, she's saying now she revealed that he. Story. She's yeah, she's revealed now that he was a suicide. But yeah, who well, knows? She, she might have killed now. him. That's right. what I'm saying. She may have taken his life. Who knows? 
Or she may have, at the very least, knocked the hell out of the guy, you know. Uh, She has a dark aspect to her character, and it's part of the... This this series, but by virtue of its very construction, is good in the sense that you couldn't tell this kind of story very effectively in a one-off movie, unless it were a series of movies. And even then, you've got to wait months between installments in order to watch them. Whereas right. a series like this, you can reveal new details each week, and they they more and more. You can have an arc, a story. Exactly. Arc. Yeah. It's a, yeah. These individual plot lines that last for multiple episodes. You know. I think, um, you know, at some point, I like the series. I think at some point they kind of hit the wall when they run out of possible plots. Um, you know, like we followed all our plot lines to their end, and now we've got to figure out something else to do. That's typically when they do something really bad, a jumping the shark moment. Um there used to be a name for that too. What was it called? A desperate hours type story. But anyhow, what they would do is they would they would lock all the characters away, and it's from the name of a movie. Oh yeah, they would, they've, they've had versions of that. You know, in the uh, what is it? Would be just a locked room and everybody's yelling at each other for the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times in series, those come towards the end of series, particularly in TV. They come towards the end of series when the series is on its last legs, and you know the thing is about to be carried out in a box, you know. Um, so Unless it comes back. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, well, we go on to, uh, going back to Nick, you know, he goes into Alejandro's living quarters, or, or I should say Alejandro comes in on Nick's living quarters. He tries to keep him from leaving. You remember Nick right. is hell-bent that I'm leaving. Um, and he forces finally he forces the issue with Alejandro that you're not immune. You know, that's right. that's actually a you know it's a minor reveal, but it's a pretty significant minor reveal. Well, I mean, uh, like that thing, this could have been the turning point of the apocalypse. He had been the one mm-hmm. immune. We could start making. You know, it's kind of the theme in um, Z Nation is there's one guy that's sort of immune to the zombies. Um. And um, maybe we can make a, a serum uh, from his blood that will keep other people from make them immune. That's, you know, if you think about it, if you go ahead and, at least right now, particularly early on in the series, because this series is only what? Is it season two? We've just wrapped yeah. up season two. So if you reveal that kind of thing that early that there is somebody immune, I mean, it, the days of the series, I would think, would be numbered, wouldn't you? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, They've lost the infrastructure to take advantage of it. So, um, you know, you'd have to try, in addition to rebuilding everything else, they're trying to rebuild science at this point, enough to they can actually make a virus. Um, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the last ship, that was their thing. They come back from the North Pole, and they've got the pure disease, and they can make um, an inoculation, but the seasons two and three have been how to rebuild society once it's collapsed because 90% mm-hmm. of the people are dead. Um, and so it really is a really, a really, really big pandemic, in other words. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's, a, you know. it's like a super flu, and um, they're able to, to, you know, keep more people from getting sick, but they've got a whole society to rebuild, so that's what they've changed the focus to. 
like here's this um what is the lowest secretary of uh you know on the um in the president's cabinet um you know it's like the secretary of state at the top what is it commerce mm-hmm. down there at the bottom anyway you've got one secretary of the Oh, and by the order of succession, that person right. has become the president, I guess. Because everybody else died. Right. Mm-hmm. This one person happened to be immune. And so you you know, you find them in their spider hole and you take them out and set them up and make them president. Then, you know, are they up to the office? And uh, But it, it changes. The, it does definitely change what the show is about. Well, this this uh, – this is a good way to jump to Ophelia because we've talked about Alejandro and Nick and how Nick has forced Alejandro's admission. Um, if we we cut back away to Ophelia, she has made her way to that fence. It's clearly I couldn't figure it out at first, and it dawned on me finally. It's got to be the border fence between the U.S. Right. and Mexico. What's it's, left it's, of it? Once you get away, yeah, it's it's, it's not it's not Trump's wall yet. Right, right. <laughs> Thank God. But so she makes her way across the border. You know, she ends up getting trapped. And a guy's got an automatic rifle on her, holding her at gunpoint, and he says, Buenos dias, senorita. Welcome to America. I mean, it's really cold. Well, and that's where I recognize that actor, but I can't find anything on who that was. So, uh, um, like, um, they aren't big. I guess everybody's behind on their updates like us. <laughs> um it's hard to find much on the new show. I did find uh, she finds herself being shot at. She seeks cover behind a tree. The man shooting at her comes over and takes her knife, and that's all that he kept. So I was wanting to know who did. There was a as we do the setup for the the second half of the season finale, when Travis kills off Brandon and Derek, there was something really unsettling about that where where you see it uh we're seeing it through the eyes of those other characters but he's in a glass in room if you recall right. and right. that makes the that makes it all the more unsettling i think because it's not like you have to imagine like Hitch, hitchcock would have you for, for example in psycho you don't see norman bates kill off that character in the shower you know, janet lee's character right. you which see. Is, you see the blood dripping into the shower and then running down the drain Right, and that's how you know With you hear angles the, that really exactly, and you hear the, and you hear the the really unsettling music, you know, the minor, you know, wee, wee, wee. kind of music. And in this, there's no imagination at all. I mean, it's just down, down and dirty, in your face, killing. And you see it, we see it through the eyes of those other characters. And I thought that was in its way that's actually pretty effective. Yeah, because um, you don't have to imagine this man's loss of his. Really, loss of his civility. I mean, he's, you know, you actually see it, you know, as it unfolds. It's the wrath of Achilles. Yeah, yeah, he, I guess he is the Achilles kind of character, maybe, in, in his way. He's been, um, well, Achilles didn't fight because he was angry, but, um, you know, that was his wrath. Um, <laughs> everybody gets right. confused because when he goes back into fighting, um, that wrath is over, and he's he's mad about something else at this point. But yeah, you know, what will it take to bring you into the fight? That's a typical trope. Like at the beginning of the movie, the sheriff is disgusted and tired, and takes off the badge and the gun. And oh, this is in Walking Dead. No, no, this is in any movie for the last oh, oh, three years. Oh. Now, put, put 
throw in a trunk and shove the trunk under the bed. You know by the end that the badge and the gun will be back in their place. The only question is what will be enough to motivate that person to come back. And usually the death of a close loved one is what it is. Mm -hmm. The best friend dies in the case of Achilles or the son is uh, executed by these two douches um, that... um, you know, makes Travis break. You know, it's it's the we talked about this, I guess, last week. That it's that thing where the the hero or the protagonist, maybe is a more proper way to put it narratively, but the protagonist doesn't become personally involved until the protagonist is personally affected. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and, and Did you that, ever see City Heat with Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood? That is such a funny movie. Um, they're old partners from the police department, and Bert quit the police and became a low-rent detective. And so Clint is just permanently mad at him now. You know, even though some level of best friends, um, he's really angry because he feels betrayed. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Best friend left him. With, and they both are in love with the same woman. Oh, uh, so you've got a love triangle going on, too. Right, you've got a double rivalry between them. And so uh, there's this little scene at the beginning. And any time Clint fights, it's only because he was personally affected. Like he's sitting there drinking his coffee in this diner, and this big dude is just cleaning the place up with um, Burt Reynolds. And he'll slide down by Clint and say, I need some help, you know. <laughs> he just sits there and keeps on drinking his coffee. But then at some point, uh, the, the guy that's speaking up, Burt Reynolds, just bumps into Clint a little bit and spills his coffee. Uh, and Clint gets his eye twitched. <laughs> he always does the eye twitch thing. <laughs> and then he gets up and just beats the guy up, you know, and... Later on, there's... So it's kind of playing his Dirty Harry Callahan character for laughs in a way, I guess. Right, over the top in a way so that people will laugh. Um, But he's recognizable, I suppose. It's kind of a variation of Harry Callahan or whatever. It's totally that. Uh, It is totally that. um, He's sitting down the street and Burt Reynolds gets in a gunfight with all these thugs. and um, You know, they're just shooting at him. And again... Clint keeps there just watching it because it's not my problem. And then a bullet pings through his glass windshield. <laughs> so yeah. He gets his uh, eye twitch going and he gets his hot gun. <laughs> You're going to have to ask yourself, do you feel lucky or Bert, do you punk? <laughs> Bert was hiding over by the car behind one of these brownstone stair, you know, rail things. Yeah. And he keeps, can you help me? Can you help me? And then Clint just gets up and starts walking down the middle of the street, shooting at him. And uh, Bert says, "Oh, I've been doing it wrong. I should have been walking down the middle of the street the whole time." <laughs> well, and that's so, uh, that's playing to both of their strengths. Because then you right, have, you know, right. Bert. Bert has got this really offhand, offhand sort of heroism in his films, and Clint's is more rock jawed, you know, yeah. stone faced, you know, kind of. <laughs> Is you know it's Achilles and Odysseus. It's the guy with the mouth and the guy with the you know straightforward uh, uh, toughness. You know. Yeah. 
And Burke can be tough, but not on that level. Right. His wits. He's um, rather like Maverick. You remember Jim Garner's yeah. character? He's a little bit like that, or like Jim Rockford, too. In the well, all those Files. characters, yeah, are descended in one way or another from Augustus. Right. Man. Man, never um, at a loss is, yes, yes. is the epithet, you know. Polutropos, many twists. They also call him that. Um, and so, um, that's a, that's the character I write, Secret Agent X. I mean, he's he's a master disguise. Well, that means he's a trickster. You see? Right, right. Um, and he's always not just a step ahead of his enemy. He's ten steps ahead of his enemy. He's always thinking like a chess master. He's thinking, well, if I do this move, he's going to do that, and I'll do this and this and this and this and this. And it, so he's again, he's always at, you know winning as much by his ability, and he's a jujitsu master too. But he's also winning by his wits. There's this uh, Chicago PD, and the captain is a little bit of both. You know, he's mostly Achilles, but he also thinks ahead. And there's this one guy that killed his son that he goes out and kills and buries. And um, one of the couple of people that knew where it happened. No, I think the police tracks his um, tracks his cell phone, and he was in this place this night for this long. Let's uh, go and start digging up that area and he had moved the body because uh he needed somebody to find the body there. So mm-hmm. you know, while the coast was clear he had gone back and cleaned up after himself. So um, you know, that's that one step ahead. Most people just bury the body and leave it. Mm-hmm. But he buries yeah. the body, he comes back and moves it. Right. Well, that's we want us. I want to set up with the the um, the second part of the season finale. Yeah. Um, they haul some of the other uh, survivors haul Travis away, and right. essentially essentially have a well, trial man. for him of a sort. I mean, it's like a tribal trial, if you will. Wouldn't you say? Oh, uh, lynching is more closely yeah. what's yeah. going to be because they were. I think they were going to kill him and Alicia. You know, you can't do this. Steps up. <laughs> you know, she, she sticks a dagger in his rib, and uh, the guy just, you know, he's about to shoot, and he looks surprised, and he goes down, and there's sweet little Alicia um, doing her Well, thing. and it's the the two scenes are really remarkable. You've got them carrying him away. Maybe maybe they are going to kill him, but they're definitely they're going to they're going to talk about his fate. In one way or shape or form, it's just a question whether they're going to act on it. And then you have juxtaposed against that, uh, back in that room, this, this Brandon character has come back to undead life, as wow. has Derek. <laughs> and so Madison has to off them, so she buries a knife in Brandon's head. Do you remember? Right. <laughs> and then she does the same with the other Amerabro. So I mean, she's she's getting to be a real big bad man of Jama, you know? Right, Madison. Um... You know, she is killed, and that's partly what she talks to Travis about. He couldn't love me if he knew what I was done. Hey. Because um, I've done some terrible things all along the way, and then they're kind of professional. Yeah, something, there's some, again, she is to me, she and uh, Strand, and I, and, and I guess it does seem to be that the other character, uh, Salazar, that we've lost him. But they, to me, were the three most interesting characters, just just my opinion. But, I mean, that, I think it's partly because there's so much mystery that's swirling around them, you know. I think at some point Salazar is going to come back. Um, just, uh, 
instead of going to let him die on screen and never find out what happened. Yeah, well, you know, the, the the woman that plays uh, his daughter, uh, I can't think of her name, but anyhow, Ophelia is the character's name. And she she said something about her father's death, and then she went back immediately and kind of changed it. And so I'm wondering from that if there is a kind of a plan for them to, to you know, to resurrect that character in some form. <laughs> What's that? Hey, can you hear me? I think our connection is getting kind of bad. Oh. All right, we're back. You were saying something about a character they might bring back. Yeah, we were talking about Salazar. Oh, I, this, yeah, I think and, definitely he'll be back. He and, he and uh, Madison and Strand, to me, are the three most interesting characters on the show. And, and again, that's just my opinion because I like... I like mis- that, that form, anyhow, as a, as a literary form of that genre, the mystery, and, and I like characters who are mysterious and who we're always finding out new information about, or, you know, the writers are revealing new facets of their character, or the situations are revealing new facets of their character. Right. So I really, I like those characters for that reason, and there's a lot more to Madison than meets the eyes. That's, that's becoming more and more apparent with each episode. Right, and we found out pretty quickly about Salazar's secret. Learning what stuff is matters because there's stuff she hadn't mentioned. She did mention mm-hmm. some stuff. I think we'll she, probably get in a flashback. She was from the south somewhere, was she not? She mentioned being from Alabama or someplace over in the southeast. I think. She's an actress. But, uh, the, well, the, yeah, the, yeah, the character did. I mean. Oh, okay. I didn't notice. Uh, yeah, she was. She when when she and Strand were getting sloshed in the in the hotel bar, you know that that came out. I'm good. How you doing? Um, yeah, I do remember them doing that. I just didn't remember that part of the conversation. Yeah, she had you know landed out west someplace. I mean, some for some reason or another. And but anyhow, so she, reason, everybody does. <laughs> Um, in, in the middle of the apocalypse yet. Well, I mean, she had been there before. Yeah. That's where she went to live. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we... The way across the country now. So now we're getting, though, here we've, you know, the, the people come back, they decide that we're not going to, uh, we're not going to kill Travis, we will exile him um, to the hinterland well, they, or whatever. I think they were about to Killing, um, right, but I'm, I'm saying they compromise and they they decide to allow him to leave with the, with his family. I don't know if it was as much of a decision as it was. Um, okay, do we really want to have to fight all these people and who knows who will die versus just let them leave? Um, and really, you know, that one guy, he was trying to keep the peace, but he did get up in there, and you know, it wasn't like Travis was killing him on purpose. Oh, the guy's brother. Right. You know the the, the hotel guy that mm-hmm. killing the bros. Yeah, I had to yeah. miss some. I had to miss some of that because I was had some stuff on the stove, <laughs> so uh, I had to get out of here for about five minutes. Yeah, and I was afraid it was going to burn up. Again, it's the tribal thing because um, killing the two bros that is a breach. If they were coming in from the outside, they weren't part of that small community, nobody had ties to them, and so 
who's really going to speak up for them, especially as they learn just how horrible they were. But you tell somebody who's part of the hotel group. Um, you know, and, this this brings up all kinds of questions, and one of which is, to me, how does the idea, because it, we're seeing this a lot in the series, how does hospitality change in the, in the zombie apocalypse? Well, I think it reclaims its older, for people that don't know, that was um, in the olden days, you would have your little tribe. You're pretty much related to everybody, and that's what binds you. Um, the second thing that could bind you was being engrafted like through marriage. But the third right. thing was... Um, the bunch of interlocked families. Right. The third thing was hospitality. Uh, I would go to your castle and... You would give me ingots and tripods and stuff that we don't use today, and um, then vice versa. Um, and so that was how they formed alliances outside of the link of blood. And you know, I think. And it's an ancient, it's an ancient uh, practice. If, I don't, is it considered a virtue? But I know it's a practice for sure. It's a virtuous practice. In fact, okay, uh, so it is a virtue as well. Okay. In uh, Greek society. It was such an important thing that Zeus oversaw it. Um, he was Zeus the hospitable, and a breach against hospitality was a breach against Zeus himself. Um, well, and it's in the, all over the Hebrew Bible. It's all over the Old Testament, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because they had bad hospitality. Exactly. Abraham uh, had good hospitality, and so he was given a promise for a bunch of kids and, you know, a nation and all that other good stuff. So um, it was a, in this case, you were showing hospitality essentially to God. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's a Native American story that Ben Franklin told where um, these two braves gave some venison to a woman sitting on a hill, and uh, they came back 13 moons later and found tobacco and beans and uh, corn growing. And so agriculture was a gift uh, of the great spirit, presumably, or yeah. Basically, yeah. It was a young woman, but I guess a young woman could be the great spirit, right? Or, or um, yeah, or the great spirit's messenger, or something. But yeah, yeah. There's, there's some. There's kind of a. There's kind of a mystical connection, even in a sense that it it joins you with your neighbor. Right. Um, you know, you eat with them, and, that, and that's 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 the there's a ritualistic sort of angle with hospitality that say you eat with them, they eat with you, etc. Uh, well, handshake. Romeo and Juliet. Remember, Romeo invades. Is it Montague on the other side? Right, Capulets and Montagues. Yeah, I'm, but Romeo is he a Capulet or a Montague? That I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, he goes, to the, <laughs> he goes to the other side, and. Um, goes to their party, and um, I think it's Tibble sees him there and striking down the head of the family. You know, Juliet's father says, you know, I would rather the world, you know, fall around me, but then so in hospitality to somebody who's in my house. So, yeah, he's here under false pretenses, but... He's under my roof. Right. Under Which means protection. he also gets my protection, exactly. Right. Not only under my the, kindness, my protection. Under the protection of my hospitality. It would be a horrible breach for us to kill him while he's here. Wait till later. This is <laughs> this this is really it points up right now what's going on in our culture in this country. We're talking about this in the run up to the election on the eighth, and I mean 
people on opposite sides of the aisle are becoming deeply inhospitable towards each other. You know, well, the, the the party fighting and so forth has has really has destroyed from what I, from what I've read has destroyed a lot of friendships and people are. You know, not speaking to their family members even, and this and that. I hear, yes, uh, Republican marriages in some bit of trouble because, um, you know, the men want Trump and the women not necessarily so. Uh, (laughs) You know, Trump's not a hero to most women. Um, No, he's not the the knight in shining armor. He's more like the the, the ogre or the troll, you know. There's some Um, you know, he's more like the ogre or the troll. Well, you know, and the thing you keep hearing over and over is most women have had to deal with something like that. Um, you know, there's this blowhard who uh, yeah. is totally unready for, you know, and there's, you know, he, he's been supported by women all these years who make him appear ready. You know, that's the madman thing again. Mm-hmm. That uh, the real talent is out there in the middle, working hard but totally unrecognized. Right. right. And I'm the talent. I'm the person being born about on a litter. Yeah. You know, and um, that's that. Um, it's that feeling of entitlement once again. I mean, yeah. Everything plays out with that. I mean, well, everything. that's one of the things that you and I in our generation lost is um. When we grew up, uh, it was kind of expected you'd get a job as a as a college graduate, and um, they would supply you with a desk and an office and a secretary. And um, you know, about the time we came through, they had these things called personal computers come along. All of a sudden, we were supposed to be doing all that typing and other stuff ourselves, and. Uh, you know, it's this lost world feeling that um, if you can't learn to deal with it in a healthy way, then you, you go to a Trump rally, you know? Well, there's a book about that now, you know, with a woman who uh, wrote the thing, did the research and wrote it. I mean, we probably should bring her on our other podcast, but she has written a book called Strangers in Their Own Land or something to that effect, I think is the title of it. But it it profiles people in southwest Louisiana. Ah, and they're yeah. They're well, that's probably a little different take on it, isn't it? Yeah, but, but she's a sociologist. She's a sociologist, but uh, she's got a really interesting take on the the culture that the people who support Trump and in, in Southwest Louisiana, they're stand-ins for the people that support him, you know, across the country. And she explores, you know, the, what she calls the deep story, you know, the real reasons that they are supporting him. Oh, they're supporting Trump down there. Yes, exactly, and and but also again, it's the real it's the real reasons that people across the country are supporting him, and you know they're they're just stand-ins for the the larger Trump you know body of supporters. Right. Well, I see we've been going over an hour, and my phone's about to die. So, uh, <laughs> do you have any other points you wanted to bring up while we're on while we're still before we sign off for the season? Uh, let's see. Um, I liked the fact that we reestablished Strand as sort of a man out for himself. You remember the line right, if I can right, find right. This, where he says, I'm not going to die for somebody else or whatever. <laughs> the arch libertarian sort of you know, <laughs> statement. Right. He, um, you know, he seemed like such a team with Madison, but the moment that it becomes 
in his self-interest, he dissolved the team, you know. Um, it was, although I do think there's a deeper side to him, there's still this side. And I think we ought to, you know, if we can say this before your phone uh, bites the dust here, but the whole business about the Nick and uh, Luciana leading those survivors, almost like an exodus sort of thing, uh, you know, back across the border, and right. they are, they've seen this helicopter, you recall. Yeah, and, and they think and it's that, a sign of hope, but it's a sign of rednecks with guns. Yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's it's like everything it seems to be in this series. It it's got a double edged sword. You think that, you know, the illusion is that it is something about hope. And the reality is that it's something pretty hopeless. Yeah, it's the same old stuff we've been dealing with before the crash, which is uh, you know again, these people to believe in their own white male privilege. Trying to make sure nobody else gets in on it. That was pretty uh, pretty terrifying. Me being met met at the border with all the abandoned cars, and right. these you know people are standing there with automatic weapons, and there's what what's shaping up to be a massacre right there at the border. You know. Well, it kind of ended as a standoff, as I recall, because uh, both sides had some guns. But yeah, you know they'll kill anybody they can, and but typically guys like that don't want to get too close to the fire themselves. <laughs> no. They no. Are. Uh, well, and yet we don't know yet who they are. I mean, I'm wondering if they are. I wrote in my notes here, are they military or paramilitary, or, or paramilitary types? Right, or maybe, right. Yeah, maybe, they're, maybe they're California National Guard. Who knows? Uh, because some somebody does know how to fly a chopper. I mean, they've seen that chopper off in the distance, so somebody. I'm thinking more, maybe that, but, you know, for me it's more... Um, you know, just these guys that go and patrol the border every night without being authorized by anybody, right? Like those uh, Minutemen. Yeah, the Minutemen, those type of people. There was a guy around here, and I don't guess this is any harm in saying this, but he was a former newsman at the CBS affiliate Monroe, and he left his position over there eventually. He was going to be running a blog, so he claimed. But anyhow, he also supposedly went down to Arizona or someplace, or New Mexico or someplace, I think it was Arizona, and he was supposedly going to join up with those Minutemen. I mean, he was so paranoid about the you know, the so-called <laughs> illegals. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's really it's surreal. You know, he, was he, it he was, related to too much cocaine? It seems like a... Who knows? This like guy, kind of one, of my cousins, my, one of my cousins knew the guy. He was pretty right-wing, and he was you know, just obsessed with the idea of protecting our borders, and it was just the worst kind of paranoia going on with this guy. You know, right, was, because Monroe's so being overrun by <laughs> other countries. Well, he was he really he left his position in Monroe supposedly and went down there, like I said, to Arizona or someplace. I think it's where it was and you know, it was one of those Minutemen for a time. Now what he's doing now I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Oh my god. He started the zombie apocalypse early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was trying to get a head start on the, you know, yeah, the, man. the death and dying, you know. Well, um, I I use this show as an example to my students about what happens if we take away this structures of government and civil society. You know, everybody thinks it would be great if we didn't have all this government. What's it going to look like? I, I personally think it will look like Walking Dead. Um, because how do people act when they think they can get away with stuff? Um, so um, 
I guess that's my thought for the day. Take away government, and I would say, too, take away reason, because you see how these people are acting, and it's mostly acting out of passion, and it's just strictly survival instinct. I mean, it's, it's fueling a lot of them, you know. Well, and it's like the prisoner's dilemma, if you're familiar with that. Um, you know, you, you take two prisoners and put them in separate rooms, and the first one that breaks is the one that gets the deal. And so if you're both loyal, you both go free. Mm-hmm. But if you betray the other one first, you only serve a year. Whereas you may go away for life if um, you, you're loyal and they betray you first. So there's this, um, you know, there's this kind of logic, if you call it that, or game, you know, game playing, where you're thinking, well, do we wait for them to strike or do we strike? Oh, like first? part of game? Is it part of game theory or something? Yeah, maybe, or? yeah. The prisoner's dilemma. Um, mm-hmm. um, that's a famous thought experiment from game theory. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think they're going through that on a large scale. Like if our group lives with you in peace, great. Unless you betray us, and then we should have betrayed you first. And the cost of not betraying the other one first is we all die. And so there's this, I think that's why hospitality hadn't really asserted itself. It's a bigger risk in this universe. It it really, again, I go back to this, the apocalypse multiplies our best and worst tendencies. I don't think you can, I mean, it sounds self-evident, but you can't walk away from this thing and, and be the same person. It's going to bring out the real you one way or the other. Right. Um, whatever that whatever that person is, it could be a really selfless kind of person who's very noble and this, that, and the other, but, you know, it might be some real monster that just, or it might be the Amerobros. Right, right. Uh, they, they, Brandon revealed that when they first met him. He said, man, we were nothing before this, and now we're gods, he said. Right, right. Except, uh, uh, you know, they made the wrong bet and got themselves killed. So once you're dead, it's hard to be that god anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you have a knife a knife through your body or however they... However, however, Madison killed him. You know, she buried. Now, they are even head. coming back at this point. We've seen the knife go in their brain, so they're yeah, dead. exactly. <laughs> um, so, what do you think will happen for next season? Then I don't know. Um, I was hoping they would bring our group back together. I like watching it unfold that way, but it looks like we're going to have. We didn't see Salazar at all this Mm-mm. season, but. There's an important character on Walking Dead who was just a bit player for the first three or four years. He was this African American who saves Rick for the first couple of weeks, and then they go their separate ways. And Rick's on a weapon one and finds this guy who's kind of gone full apocalypse now, uh, you know, and, oh, wow. uh, living by himself. And then you see him next, and he's come to some sort of place of serenity, and he becomes like a, you know, one of the He's a good fighter, but he's also, um, um, you know, kind of a thought leader for the group. Mm-hmm. So he does. He has made a reappearance of a sort, and yeah, he's a regular cast member now. Mm-hmm. Whereas before he was Morgan Jones. That's it. Is that his uh, name or his character's name? His character's name. Okay. <clears throat> Lenny James. He's been in some stuff. I've seen him before. But it was one of these guys who just kept coming across randomly, uh, 
in the early seasons, and then all of a sudden he um, he shows up and um, you know wants to join the group finally. And, uh, I'm interested to see what hap- what will happen with Ophelia because she knows things about her parents, you know, about how they had, you know, been. Well, I mean, she's of all the the characters, she's probably in the most grim spot right now because who knows what that guy wants to do with her, right? And they come down to the mountains to get a wife or something. I was wondering that exactly, you know, Um, turn her into some sort of a sex slave or God knows what. Right. um, So we'll have to see what happens with her um, next season if they don't go for a couple of seasons without showing her. (laughs) Next time we see her, she may have three kids. Um, I feel like they'll bring her back. I mean, again, it's just going to be in what capacity, you know. and I like the ones that are resolved quicker rather than, like, I don't want her to be in a basement for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, um, <laughs> locked away somewhere. Right, I'd rather get to <clears throat> jump on this guy and get away from him. I mean, mm-hmm. he could be a decent guy, but how often does that happen in the apocalypse? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> right, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't bet on it. Just like when they're, you know, it, it it looks so hopeful when they're walking down the street, and really it's almost like a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic exodus, right? And Nick and and uh, uh, Luciana are leading these people down the street, and you know, it's almost like the right. Red Sea is parted, and he's sort of the but Moses I don't character. I think that idea is that they're going to leave. I don't know. Is there plan to go back to the colony after? You checked on it? Yeah, that's what. I, did you say that they? Well, they they're going to keep the hotel. You said in the in the next season. Yeah, the the people have already announced that they're keeping the hotel around. So you know, we'll be back there. So I imagine we'll be back at the the, the narco Walmart. I don't know if the Colonia will survive. Well, well they yeah, didn't have we, water anyway. We may, somehow. we may, um, we may be, and it could be the same thing here. That the Nick and Luciana, that crowd of people going across the border, those people that ambushed them may be connected up with the same guy that you know ambushed or has apparently taken prisoner uh, Ophelia. Right. You know they could yeah, be one of the same group the of people. Are. All right. Well, um, anything else? I think that pretty well wraps up, I and mean, I think it's a it's a good setup for season three. You know. It's yeah, I think a, it'll be a good start. You know, it'll we'll have to pull together the loose ties from all these places. It, it will be it will on. be helpful. They'll they'll probably rerun all the episodes, you know, all of you that are following this thing and, and maybe lose track of what's happening, you know, go back and watch the episodes as they'll run they'll run them back to back and the run up to the you know. Oh yeah, I'm launch. sure they'll do that. Yeah. All right, well for Fear of the Walking Dead, a podcast, I'm Bruce McGee. And I'm Steve Payne. We want to thank all of you for listening uh, to this week's uh, season finale episode. We hope that you'll join us for season three of Fear the Walking Dead, a podcast. Bye for now. 